You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening and welcome everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Monday the 28th of September 2020. Thank you all for tuning in. I find myself, when I haven't done a program for a couple of weeks, I find myself a little bit rusty. So bear with me in case there's any technical glitches. Um, please that you're all uh, who are listening live at the moment on YouTube. And again, we might not have a regular schedule. And I probably just won't bother with one because I'm going back to college next week. So I'm just going to see whenever the programs are able to be done, they'll be done. And um, in some ways, I'll kind of take some of the pressure off. They might not be every week even. So uh, please keep me in your prayers about that. Um, obviously, it hasn't been a program for a couple of weeks. And myself and my family were away in holidays for about 10, was it nine, 10 days? A beautiful part of the island called Donegal. Um, I thoroughly recommend it all the only part of the only problem with ireland is really this the weather <laughs> and if you get good weather it's incredible it's amazing and uh friends of mine have reliably told me that i haven't even seen the best of the beaches in donegal absolutely gorgeous place i've never been there before in my life um about two and a half hours drive from here and we all had a great time and it was good to recharge the batteries and spend some time with the family, something I generally don't do, and I need to do more of it, I'm quite frank, and uh, so, yeah, and it was kind of good to get away from social media and all the, the fights that are breaking out, and sad that that is happening with regards to COVID and masks, and oh, man, you, you know, if you, if you can get away, if you can somehow disconnect your internet for, I don't know, couple of weeks. It's a wonderful blessing. Uh, let me tell you this. Um, so blessings wherever you are. Hopefully, um, in all seriousness, there's, there's a lot of sad things that are happening, especially in regards to COVID. People are reacting to it. Some are acting mature, some are not. And no doubt that it can cause strains on the local level within churches, which is where, let's face it, there's always going to be differences of opinion. So we've got to unify around what, what is important. I, I've kind of just stopped, at least I've tried to stop completely talks about COVID. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist and my opinion means absolutely zero. So um, I'm just going to try and get through this as best I can by the grace of God. And um, we should all do that as biblically and in, in as gracious a way as possible. Now, we're going to do our normal thing at the beginning of the program, which is this, going through the Psalms, um, encouraging you to sing through the Psalter, especially difficult days like this, but not just when this pandemic is over, keep singing the Psalms. And um, something is wrong, even if you haven't quite got to the position where you believe you should only sing Psalms in worship or whatever the case may be, wherever you are, may be in your st studying out that issue, 
sing the Psalms. I mean, surely you should see the blessings and the riches and and hopefully you see more and more how all the Psalms point towards Christ. I, you know, um, there's different works that you can get on the Psalms that can help you to see that through commentaries and things like that. So whatever your view may be at this moment in time, the Psalms are no doubt the, the best thing you can sing right now. Acapella, you don't need instruments? Don't have any instruments. <laughs> okay, so we're in we're on Psalm 30 right now. We're going to read through God's word and we're going to just comment on it before we get into our main topic. And our main topic is unfortunately talk about Tim Keller. Uh, I say unfortunately, it's not so much about talking about Tim Keller. It's the whole thing with social justice and um, the whole Tabidi Anabule kind of tarnishing all white people with being complicit in injustice and misunderstanding aspects of, I believe, when it comes to you know corporate guilt, covenant theology that ties in heavily, heavily with covenant theology and so on and so forth. So by God's grace, we'll go through that later. So Psalm 30... If you have a if you have the word of God in front of you, just turn to that and we'll go through it. I'm re- in case anybody's wondering, I'm reading from the NKJV. So before we, we read this Psalm 30, we will uh we'll we'll lead with a word of prayer. Almighty and ever living God, Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your mercy, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for this technology where we're able to connect, Lord, through the internet. And while it is surely not the same as being in person in our churches and gathering together in prayer with the saints of God. We, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunities it provides your word to go forth. It is certainly, Lord, no substitute for the preaching of the word and, and physically gathering together. But Lord, at the same time, we thank you for this means of grace. And we pray that the truth would, would bless all those who hear this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll turn to Psalm 30. <laughs> I just saw the comment. Uh, welcome, General. Um, the other part, it was just um, when, when somebody in the chat, anybody who's going to be listening to this is not going to know what I'm talking about, but uh, this is why it's good to be in the chat. You might miss out on things. Um, just about uh, the other problem is all the leprechauns going after you for the pot of gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to put anybody off Donegal. It's it's gorgeous there, but you got to watch out for those little little short guys. Anyway, so Psalm thirty. Uh, let us hear God's word. I will extol. I will ex, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out for to you, and you healed me. O Lord. You brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. 
I cried out to you, O Lord. And to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So this psalm is one of the main themes throughout this this as it this says at the beginning i forgot to read actually at the beginning the the title that is given a psalm a song at the dedication of the house of david it gives us a bit of information about uh, the context in which we have this psalm we're not told it was written by david but it is most likely written by David himself. And it deals with the the issue of answered prayer, the blessing of answered prayer. And we should, especially in times like this, as we're praying out and as loved ones may be sick and in an ICU or loved ones may be still ill from the lasting effects months later of having had the the COVID infection months before. There are some people still struggling with lung problems and different complications that they have had that still continue on. And, and in those times when it may not seem like the world really wants to listen, sadly, to you, um, we need to remind ourselves of these blessed moments of the Lord's answered prayer. And it begins with with praising God. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. And again, thinking about this, this is a dedication of the house of David. And a place of worship, a place where, you know, and when we come to the house of worship, we should remember what God has done for us. So we're thankful because it's so easy to have answered prayer and forget about it. And it can lead to us being unthankful very, very quickly. It talks about different things that the psalmist here is thankful for. You brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive and I should not go down to the pit. And if you're a Christian, that is true for every single one of you. Spiritually, of course, you brought my spirit out from the grave. It's how any of us are able to worship God and be thankful to God because he has brought our soul up from the grave. And the Lord is... If we compare, there are obviously it's clear instances where the Lord is angry with the wicked and his vengeance upon the wicked is shown in books like Jeremiah, Isaiah, um, you know, Jeremiah dealing with covenant, the covenant breaking of God's people. 
uh, by and expressed in the words of the weeping prophet himself, Jeremiah. But how gracious has God been? And when we compare God's mercy to his wrath, look what it says here in the psalm, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. And we may have different ways of experiencing that. Perhaps, you know, we can backslide and we can experience chastening of the Lord. Now, we'll never fall under his eternal condemnation if we're in Christ, but Hopefully, everybody listening to this has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who trusts in him is blessed, and they're not still trusting in their idols, they're not still trusting in their sin, and that they see that this is a God who answers prayer and who is merciful to those who look with faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who have turned from their sin and trusted in him. I cried out to you, O Lord, verse 8, and the Lord... And to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? And the way he, the, the psalmist, cries out before the Lord, it's all to do with glorifying God. What profit is there if he goes on into the dust? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, verse 10, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be my helper. Moses prayed like this when he was interceding for for the God's people. How will this glorify you? It's kind of a way of summarizing that. Ha, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. And this is, okay, saints, the saints of God go through painful turmoil and will face the wrath of the world and the wrath of the devil in this life. But at the same time, the Lord has turned our mourning into dancing, joy. There's something wrong with our Christian if it is devoid of joy. It is not to say that Christians won't go through extremely hard, possibly even extremely low points of depression. It would be foolish to say that. Other Psalms deal with the utter lows that we can reach, but there is joy. And it should, our Christianity, where while it is never constantly this kind of constant level of high there's low highs and lows but there is joy because it says here you've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness i'm no longer mourning i'm no longer weeping i am joyful i am happy to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent if we are so glad in our hearts to God and we're so thankful for his answered prayer and we are so filled with gratitude and love toward him. Our worship on the Sabbath day will just overflow. It won't be something we have to work up. It is. It will naturally flow out of our appreciation and our gladness for him. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And remember this, dear brethren, we'll not just worship God in this life, we'll worship him forever and ever. That is what heaven is. You may be listening to this and think, ah, I want to go to heaven. Do you want to worship God? Because if worshiping God 
It sounds horrible to you. Foreign to you. Something you could not stoop to. Then you are not, you've never trusted savingly in the living and true God. You've never trusted in Jesus Christ, his son. And you're still in your sins. And you are still serving idols. Whether that, that's the idol of self or some other idol you serve. Maybe God of your own imagination, but certainly not the God of Scripture. Sadly, you may be still on the road to hell. Because the heaven of popular culture is you do what you want to do in your carnal mind. You think of paradise for the Muslims. Those terrorists, you know, 72 virgins, all this kind of stuff. It is something that could be as easily pulled out of the dep any depraved mind, of any pervert. But what is heaven? Heaven is heaven is because God is there and the blessings of God is there. And there, here we worship God, but we'll worship him forever and in the world to come. We rejoice in that. We rejoice that there'll come a day where we will not have to worry about our weary bodies and etc. and so on. You know, sometimes we're we're tired and we we suffer with the weaknesses of this this form. But in the world to come, there there are no tears, there is no suffering, there is just pure joy in the presence of the Lord, and we will worship him forever without growing tired of it. Loving it perfect happiness and bless. May the Lord bless you. And hopefully that was a blessing to you. Now, before we get on to our not so positive topic of dealing with Tim Keller, and I was almost talking myself out of doing this today, I was like, oh, do I really need to look at this? And I, I, I think, okay, I think hopefully I'll be, hopefully I'll do it in the right way, hopefully in, in the right spirit. Um, there's a lot of division. And I'm not saying that division is un always unnecessary. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's important to take and say this is wrong, and it may bring opposition. But the on one side you have and and the whole COVID thing. I don't want to get into COVID, but I'm just saying COVID just seems to have lit a match that is just you know it's almost seems to some in some people's minds if you if you believe that COVID is an issue and vi actual virus or something like that, and therefore you believe that the media, therefore you're a lefty, and therefore you're into social justice, and then um, and then on the opposite side is people who raise against, rail against masks and are, you know, kind of fighting with that kind of stuff. And they also are against um, you know, social justice. Now, okay, in case anybody's not aware of my own position, I am also against the social justice in terms of as it is described by the vast majority of people use the term. There are some people who use the term social justice and they don't really mean social justice in the way that the Jesuits, Luigi Taparelli, the Roman Catholic Church, the Marxists, that kind of sense. The, uh, by the way, the, the, the term goes back Luigi Taparelli was the first person that I'm aware of that used the term social justice. And the Roman Catholic Church is probably more 
the Jesuits seem to be into this stuff far earlier, historically at least, than any Marx or Engels or anybody else. But historical aside, and there was even, um, was it during Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was very influenced by one Roman Catholic writer um, during the Great New Deal and all that kind of stuff. You could get wrapped up in that, okay? I really want to look at the biblical ideas that Tim Keller is claiming for his ideas. Um, not everybody, even on their side, is going to completely agree on this thing. There's a danger we get overly obsessed by this. And there's a danger we also completely ignore this. Um, I don't think we can ignore this because this has kind of gone everywhere. The Black Lives Matter movement has just exploded because I don't think we should be pouring over every single report that comes out from CNN or Fox News or be it ITV over here in the UK and BBC or whatever the case may be. I just think that's counterproductive and you just end up becoming another wheel in the the culture wars. And you're, you're completely distracted away from the gospel. However, at the same time, I don't think we can ignore this because it does impact the church and it is causing division and it is causing a distortion of how we look at the gospel. It's, it's causing a distortion at how we look at grace. It's causing a distortion in how we look at even the covenants, quite frankly, and how we look at many different texts um what um in 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 the chat room um somebody said they were called good example of the division that's kind of taking place actually um somebody a, a guy i know through twitter uh he said this i got called an sjw that's social justice warrior for anybody who's not aware of what that means for disagreeing with macarthur and and this is the you know the whole the position John MacArthur has taken. I don't want to revisit that whole thing, but I'm just saying that is, it's like there's only two positions. You If you agree with MacArthur on everything, therefore you are anti-social justice. Or, uh, and, and if you disagree with MacArthur, therefore you must be social justice, or you're, you're a closet commie, communist, or something like that. And this is, can anybody else see how this is a bad idea? We need to kind of get beyond modern categorizations of political discourse, basically the debates that are happening. Um, the platform of the Republican Party in the United States or the platform of the Conservative Party, or in fact, the <laughs> up here in Northern Ireland, the, the DUP, is largely not biblical. Okay, so we've got to exposit from the text of scripture and not be kind of going, well, what's the most pragmatic way of get getting ahead? And anybody who disagrees with me, therefore, is some horrible commie or something like that. <sighs> Can we just avoid this? Let's go. We're going to look at Tim Keller and also urge you not to think low of anybody who happens to read Tim Keller. I'm no fan of Tim Keller. Okay. I've never understood the appeal, but I'm also urging people not to kind of go, ah, my pastor reads Tim Keller, therefore I'm, I'm out of here. No, no, um, there, I know lots of fine people who read Tim Keller. I don't personally get it. Uh, does Tim Keller say some fine things at times? Yes. Yes. And that's usually what people gravitate towards. So this is a critique of Tim Keller. This is not a critique of every single person who likes some things Tim Keller says. 
And with that said, let's get into our critique, okay? Ooh, I better turn this up. Um, there is, if, you, if anybody wants to watch this video, okay, you know what? I'm going to show you something else first. I changed my mind. This is the video that caused a bit of controversy. This is just to give you a bit of context. I should have probably said this at the beginning of the program. This video got shared around. I'm going to play this in its entirety so you get an idea why I'm responding to this. This is actually back from 2016. A friend of mine recently, was, uh, who's a pastor, was talking to a Norwegian a uh, man who had just moved into his, to his community and went to his church. And at one point he heard uh, the pastor talking about the fact that uh, uh, we, were, we were all complicit in creating this narrative that uh, uh, black people are dangerous, etc. And so we're complicit in this. Afterwards, the, white, the, the, the Norwegian came up and said, no, 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 that's, I'm Norwegian. <laughs> no, had nothing to do with it. And... and <laughs> My, uh, and my pastor friend said, uh, studies have shown, have pretty much proven that if you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime over somebody who doesn't have white skin. And that's because of historical forces that uh, have come about. And at this point, you know, you could, you could go at it several ways. One, as I mentioned, if you have that asset of white skin right now, historical asset, then you actually have to say, I, I didn't deserve this. And also, I'm, to some degree, I'm the product of, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. So uh, the Bible actually says, yes, you do, you do, you are um, involved in injustice. And even if you didn't actually do it, therefore you have a responsibility, not just to say, well, you know, maybe if I get around to it, maybe we could do something about the poor people out there. No, you're, you're part of the problem. If you do actually let your, your understanding of responsibility be shaped by the Bible instead of American individualism. Um, Asians, I think I would say the same thing, in a way I would say the Norwegians. Uh, the fact is that Asians and Latinos and African Americans, because of the background, because of the, the history difference, you actually are coming in at different levels. Okay, so you, that is the context. Uh, a friend of mine oh. recently. That is the context of what is being shared around. Um, so obviously made a lot of people mad. Um, basically the implication that if you have white skin, the Bible says you're involved in injustice. Um, okay, so we're, we're going to go through this and more get more of the context. If you want this, if you want this video, it's called Grace, Justice, and Mercy, an evening with Brian... Stevenson and the Reverend Tim Keller Q&A. Okay, so you get that on YouTube if you type that in. Uh, we're going to start listening to this four minutes and 45 seconds into this, and we're going we're gonna to play as much as we can of it and respond to as much as we can of it. Redeemer specifically, um, Brian has talked a lot about tonight about the systemic issues in our justice system and how they disproportionately affect black and brown people. Yes. Yet, um, if we think about the makeup of Redeemer, it's largely a church of white and Asian people. So just wondering um, for folks who, who might be in the audience thinking and asking, why should I care about these particular issues around justice? What would you say to them? Well, there, the, the Bible, uh, uh, I didn't get there tonight because there was uh, there's too much to say. The Bible believes in corporate sin, corporate responsibility. Uh, in Daniel chapter 9, 
Uh, let me talk about white people for a minute. I'll leave, I'll, leave, I'll leave the Asians aside for a second here. But no, don't, don't get your hopes up. Um, the, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is confessing the sins of his forefathers, repenting for them. Um, he, um, he doesn't, uh, and you know, the average American says, that's crazy. He, he... Okay, so he's citing Daniel chapter 9. So let's go through that rather than just accepting what he's saying. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, he's in the reign of, I'll give you a bit of context, and we'll go through some parts of Daniel chapter 9 and be helpful if you could get it out in front of you. Uh, as we go through this, Daniel is interceding for his people. Um, intercessory prayer. And we would also do, like Moses interceded for the people of God. He cried out to the Lord for mercy, for forgiveness, that the people corporately yeah, have sinned and needed to repent. We would do the same thing today. We would say the nation is guilty. We are guilty of the sin of abortion in this land. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins against you. Cause us to turn from that. Now, by praying that, you don't necessarily think then, aha, the person praying that, he must have went away and slaughtered a few babies himself or is complicit in that. You understand where I'm going with this. So Daniel here is praying before God during the reign of the Medes. And he's come to the understanding of why they're there. I, Daniel, understand by the, by the, the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he's studying the book of Jeremiah and comes to this realization, not necessarily there at that moment, but he sees it. He sees they, their problem. They have broken the covenant of God. And they were warned back in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 and other places, if they broke the law or the covenant of God, if they turned away from him in unbelief and turned their back on him and sought after the idols of other nations, he would bring curses upon them. This is warned to them at the foot of Mount Sinai. Daniel says this, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Almost echoing Exodus 20, verse 6. Verse 5, we have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. And that's how, if you were... If the minister on a Sabbath morning should cry out on behalf of the nation, all the nations of the West are guilty of turning their back on God. We have sinned and committed iniquity, have done wickedly and rebelled. 
Now, more more specifically for them, there were God's people, his special people set aside. Even by departing from your precepts and your judgments, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, and spoken in your name, the kings of our princes. Verse 11 of Daniel chapter 9. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and oath written by the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. How, is, how can you summarize that? We are here. We are being judged rightfully because of what we have done. We have turned our back on the law of Moses. And if what does that mean, the law of Moses or the book of the law? That is referring to Genesis to, to, to Deuteronomy. Let's refer to the Torah. The, the Old Testament was often is and divided into three. The law, the prophets, and the writings. If you, if you get a, a copy of the Old Testament, especially older copies, and it'll say uh, Torah, Kathavim, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Navaim. Those words, and that's how, and the New Testament would divide in exactly the same way. And that first word, the law, is referring to Genesis to Deuteronomy, laying out what is required of God's people and stipulations, laying before them blessings and cursings. That if, if by faith they they trust in Him and follow Him, there is blessings. If they turn from him in unbelief, there is cursings, there is the wrath of Almighty God, warned in that in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, Leviticus 26 is, if, you, if you're not clear what I'm talking about, Leviticus 26, and it's a sad thing, it's a sad influence of dispensationalism and, and other things, that we don't think that Leviticus 26 has anything to do with us. Of course, we have to see that the ceremonial law has done away and stuff like that, of course, and we have to see it you could say, in terms of the new covenant administration. However, it still applies to us. There is still wrath upon those churches that turn from God in unbelief. Um, you look at places like uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 16. God says, he, or Jesus says, he will, he will fight against them with the with the sword, I can't remember the exact phrase, I might get to it later, but fight against it with the sword of his mouth. The word of God would be against them. So Daniel is in an intercessory prayer. This does not say, therefore, if, I don't know, some... Plenty of sins sadly took place among God's people. Therefore, well, a lot of the other people were idolaters. Well, he's an idolater too. Now, when we come across injustice, forget the, knock the first word social off, okay? That's generally speaking to do with either some kind of socialist redistribution of wealth or something like that. Biblical form of justice or injustice has to do with the law of God. And we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And if you want to know how to do that, and if you want to study biblical ethics, study out the Ten Commandments. Get a good book like Thomas Manton, or not Thomas Manton, uh, Thomas Watson and the Ten Commandments. Or there's other books on the Ten Commandments that are 
available as well, but that's the best one I can think of. But you see the difference. He's going to apply this in a second, saying, well, oh, no, corporate guilt, we're all guilty. This is Now, here's the thing. This is God's people covenanted with God. And then this has been applied to somebody who has the same complexion as someone else. It is absurd, okay? And I'm going to go through how it's absolutely... You want to follow that logic? How about blame all the black people for all the black and black violence taking place in, in many cities like Chicago and places like that? Should we do that? That would be ridiculous. Am I going to blame all the black people for all the anti-white racism in South Africa? That would be kind of racist. And I think this is also kind of racist, okay? So it makes my blood boil. It makes my blood boil. Let's get on to the next text he's going to use. He didn't do those things. Uh, he I evidently was maybe born and raised in exile, and he wasn't part of the generation of people who sinned against God and, and led to the exile. He, he confesses the sin. Uh, there are other places in the Bible where uh, a, a family or a tribe is punished for one person's sin, like in Joshua chapter 7. And it's because, actually, I think God knows, and actually most of the rest of the world knows what American... Okay, now, let's go to Joshua chapter 7, and there's a good lesson to be learned here. I remember I preached on this, um, I don't know when it was, it was maybe about nine months ago, and I, I, I think I missed a really major important thing, important theme, and I was going through this. And it was this, um, so he's bringing up Daniel, or Joshua chapter 7, doesn't actually mention what he's really talking about, and it might say, oh, well, he's got biblical texts, and, okay, Joshua chapter 7, he's referring to Achan, and Achan and his family were killed, basically because they took of the accursed thing. Um, now, some context is needed to understand what, why Achan and his family were killed, okay, and his family. Um, it, it was just it was a pretty concept I would have probably you know, I did struggle with it and I was like why exactly is that well the key is really here um, Joshua chapter 6 verses 17 and 18 says this at least we'll go with the English first and then I'll go through the Hebrew which will make it even clearer I believe uh, Joshua chapter 6 verses 17 and 18 now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction this is speaking about AI not, sorry, not AI, uh, Jericho. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we send. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become cursed when you take the cursed things and make the camp of Israel, a curse, and trouble it, okay? Now, there's a word here being used in the Hebrew text all the way through, and it can be translated different ways, and it is translated different ways in the Old Testament. And the Hebrew word is harem, harem. And the word harem 
means this. Gonna harem mean kind of a, a thing devoted to destruction. Sometimes the word ban is used by kind of technical commentaries on this, and ban is like this is something banned. And the city of Jericho and the land was under a ban. It was devoted to destruction, almost like an offering. The, the language in other places can be used of, I think in Leviticus and other places, used in terms of a, something dedicated before the Lord, even in terms of sacrifice. But it, it devoted to destruction. The way it's translated in English, it, it says, the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. Harem. Harem. And it's translated different ways, and the, the context will often help us to how to best render it into English. That's why it's a bit slightly different at times. But the the city is harem, devoted to destruction. Um, all the things are harem. And, and it says in verse 18 of uh, Joshua chapter 6, and you by all means abstain from the, I think this is, the, yeah, harem, verse 18, yeah. Um, yeah, and you shall abstain from all things min ha harem. Yeah, so you shall abstain from harem. Why? Because if you don't, and make the camp a curse. This was kind of, this was joined on with the covenant. They were banned. All the things were banned. They were under this harem. And devoted to destruction. Now, if you took some of that to yourself, you are now under that wrath to be destroyed. Now, Rahab experienced God's mercy because she hid the Lord's messengers, okay? And she was no longer under that harem. She experienced God's mercy. Then later, Joshua chapter 7, this is getting on to our, the point that Tim Keller is making. But the children of Israel, verse 1, committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Harem. Those things devoted to destruction. Those things, that dedicated thing to be destroyed. Achan took that. And by taking that, he didn't just condemn himself, he, t he also condemned his family. And it says at the end of Joshua chapter 7, then he raised over them a great heap of stones, and there was still to this day. So the Lord, uh, sorry, um, they discovered who it was. They found out it was Achan. Um, it's, uh, okay, verse 25 of Joshua chapter 7. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Stoned them with stones. It wasn't just him who was affected. I'm trying to look at the, the exact verse here. So, in, in verse 20 of Joshua chapter 7, And Achan answered, Joshua said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the spoils of the beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them, and they were under this harem. 
That's why the, the judgment was so severe. This was, a, this was church discipline taking place at that time. And there were uh, hidden under the earth in the midst of the tent. And so Joshua ran to the tent. So his sons and his daughters and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had that they were brought to the Valley of Achor. They were stoned. We might miss that if we read it quickly. If you read verses 24, 25, and 26, and for application for ourselves, for today, there's, look, if, if a father falls into sin in his home, there's consequences. Of course, not as serious as this. You wonder, why were they? Because they were brought under this harem. This harem, which was for the land, which was for the cities, which were, this whole place was to be wiped out. And then by partaking of that and taking it, they brought the curse on themselves. They turned it back on the covenant of God. Corporate, yes, because of God's covenant. I am not saying that there's no modern day examples in which we are guilty today. We are not. There are cases on these islands, the island of Ireland, which I'm on. I live in Northern Ireland, but the island of Ireland, we include the whole island, England, Scotland, Wales, the two islands together. We are guilty of covenant breaking because back in 1643, we as two islands swore to follow God in what is called the Solomon Covenant. This was signed before the beginning of uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, Westminster Assembly, etc. and so on. And we have turned our back on that. We've turned our back on that for many, many years. But we're guilty of it today because we continue in that rebellion. We haven't repented of it. Had we repented of it, if these islands turned back to God, there would be forgiveness. There would be forgiveness. It wouldn't be. Ah, do you remember what happened 200 years ago when some of your ancestors did that? No, there'd be forgiveness in Jesus Christ if you repent. Or, if you don't repent, you're going to continue on in the errors of your fathers. I hope I'm making this clear. I, see, this is why this is why covenant theology is so important. It's, it's important that we don't become... Tim Keller's got a, a, a somewhat of a point that we shouldn't be hyper-individualistic. There should be a sense of community. There should be a sense of, of church. And there is some sense of covenant responsibility, but not to do with skin color or melanin content. That's disgusting. It's vile to say that, oh, you share same skin color as, oh, you're Norwegian, you're white. Oh, well, therefore you are guilty of, what are you gonna say? He's guilty of the Holocaust? I hope, hopefully I've made it clear, the difference between the, this covenant breaking, the examples in Joshua chapter 7, and what was the other, oh yeah, Daniel chapter 9, and what is, what is being proposed is this collective guilt based on the melanin content of your skin. It is vile, it is racist, and it should be condemned. I don't care if he's written, I don't care what nice things he's written in another book. This is a dangerous, divisive thing. This, will, this won't heal anything. This will cause more division. This will make black people think less of white people. This will make 
this will cause even worse trouble. I've no doubt that there are, there's, there's racism in all sort, parts of the world and all this kind of stuff, but point out the individual cases and call those people to repent and deal with those. But this kind of nebulous, systemic, you just slap it, oh, systemic racism, it's everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah, you, you never have to define it. And then if you ask for clarification, well, you're clearly part of the problem because you are blind to the racism all around you, see? It's, um... Yes, as nations, my nation, the nation I live in, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, we need to repent of covenant breaking, of turning our back on the God of heaven, of turning our back on the law of God. We need to repent of that. But when we do, and if we do by God's mercy and grace, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Where there's, where will you get to the point where there's enough reparations? I'm sorry I'm ranting here a bit too much, but where will you get to the point where there's enough reparations, there's enough money paid back, there's enough economic parity between one group and another that people are happy that the, the sins of the past have been atoned for. And by the way, that's unbiblical. We, there's only atonement in Jesus Christ. And if we think there's atonement anywhere else, we're no better. We're no better than those lost Jews who are looking to Yom Kippur and to think of their own works as being in some way atoning. And in that way, it can corrupt our view of atonement. It can corrupt our view of forgiveness. It can corrupt our view of the gospel. That's why it's dangerous. That's why this whole thing is dangerous. And that is what you are for good and ill, to a great degree, uh, is the product of your community. So, for example, if you are bad, uh, your community does bear some responsibility for that because the community was the kind of place where you could become that. And, of course, now that... Uh maybe. Maybe. It's possible, and it's not, but it's not always the case. I think I shared this with Brian in the back. Uh, back, uh, a friend of mine recently, was, uh, who's a pastor, was talking to a Norwegian uh, man who had just moved into his, to his community and went to his church. And at one point, he heard uh, the pastor talking about the fact that uh, uh, we, were, we were all complicit in creating this narrative that uh, uh, black people are dangerous, etc. And so we're complicit in this. Afterwards, the, white, the, the, the Norwegian came up and said... Um. I just need to go back over that because I missed that the first time I actually hear. I didn't. He's. And at one point, he heard uh, the pastor talking about the fact that uh, uh, we were we were all complicit in creating this narrative that uh, uh, black people are dangerous, etc. And so, okay, we're all complicit in that. Uh, okay, he talks about a Norwegian, and I don't know if he means somebody who's Norwegian, who has now got American citizenship. I'm not exactly sure. It's not clear from the story, but he's Norwegian. Okay. I'm a white person. Um, I have a brother who has American citizenship. Not He's not native to there, but he's got American citizenship. Um, 
I have somewhat of a connection. Does that make me complicit? I'm Irish, by the way. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 you know, it's like, um, yeah, and I suppose we have our own kind of, what's the word? Talk of oppression or all this kind of stuff from hundreds of years ago, don't want to dig up all that kind of thing. But are the white people in South Africa who are being slaughtered in their farms at a rate much higher than the rest of the population in South Africa, are those white people guilty for if it, if there is any racism in America. And by the way, let's focus in on that. Uh, and a lot of the things that, I'm just trying to remember this gentleman's name, Brian St Stevenson, who he's with, seems to be focused on is getting people out of prison. I don't know if they're innocent. Okay, fair enough. But what do you mean getting them out of prison? I mean, if they've, broken the law are we saying that just because you're black that you can't break the law it's are, are you saying that you shouldn't be punished just because you had a hard upbringing well, that's gonna be dangerous um complicit in this afterwards the white the the, the norwegian came up and said no 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 that's i'm norwegian <laughs> no had nothing to do with it and and <laughs> My, uh, and my pastor friend said, uh, studies have shown, have pretty much proven that if you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime over somebody who doesn't have white skin. And that's because of historical forces that uh, have come about. And at this point, you know, you could, you could go at it several ways. One, as I mentioned, if you have that asset of white skin right now, historical asset, then you... Wow, would you look at that asset? It's like well, I never thought of it as an asset. You know, it's it. If I go, if I go to a sunny place, I burn. Uh, seriously. It's been you know. It's funny. He later talks about well, success isn't about money, all this kind of stuff. But that's the metric constantly. Oh, it's worth a million over your lifetime. Okay. Um, and what does that prove? Oh, oh, is that across the globe or is that just the United States? Oh, yeah. Actually have to say, I, I didn't deserve this. And also I'm to some degree, I'm the product of, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. So, uh, the Bible actually, how? See, again, you have to press people who are, how to get through injustice. What exactly? What? Because, yes, you do, you do, you are um, involved in injustice. And even if you didn't actually do it, therefore you have a responsibility, not just to say, well, you know, maybe if, I get around to it. Maybe. Okay, let's apply this logic to other groups. Okay, so you're saying white people, just say, let's just, for sake of argument, I'm not agreeing with this at all, by the way. I've done other programs debunking a lot of this nonsense. But let's just, for argument's sake, say that, okay, 
there's injustice, white people, therefore you are involved in injustice because of your white skin, etc. and so on. Well, let's apply this to problems in, say, black America, for want of a better term. I hate using this term, but are we going to blame all... We could easily turn around, use that exact same logic and say, we're going to blame black people. Those hardworking black people who are working hard, paying the taxes, going to college, doing all that kind of thing, keeping their head down, staying out, out of the, some of the gang life and some, some communities that, that there is, not being dragged into the whole hip-hop glorification of the drug pushing culture, all this kind of stuff that they're complicit in that because why? Well, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go in there and stop it all or something like that. Well, that's the job of the police. So based on skin color, I mean, again, are you going to, you can think of, I don't know, some of the, the mafia groups that have come over from the United States from places like Asia. Are you going to blame all the hardworking Asian people who do incredibly well in college, actually, by the way, and probably outscore lots of people? And if you want to talk about people who are being discriminated against in some American colleges, and it's harder because, you know, the way it's broken up and all this kind of stuff, Asians tend to do better in in certain subjects, and then they find it harder to get into high top level colleges and all this kind of stuff because of, yeah, this kind of stuff. Whereas I just think, um, biblically, we should be talking about one race or two, if you really want to, there's two races maximum, biblically, if we want to be biblical about it, there are those in Adam and there's those in Christ the superficial stuff. We all go back a couple of thousand years ago. Maybe the fact, I don't know, maybe the speculation, maybe the fact that he's into evolution, maybe that's affecting how he looks at these things. I'm not, I'm not sure. I haven't studied them enough. But um, but if you see, you know, I think it makes it a lot harder to be racist in this way, to characterize a group of people purely because of the complexion of their skin, that therefore they are complicit in some crime it's very hard to see, to say that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if a couple of thousand years ago you realize you all go back to Adam. And after the flood, you go back to Noah and his wife. So therefore, all the variations of color and you know the, the physical differences and every other difference that there may be, they're variations of one race. The we all have degrees of melanin in our skin. It just depends on how much. I hate this conversation. I really do. I despise it. I think it's one of the most... Racism is one of the most stupidest things on this planet. I really do. I think it's just idiotic and extreme. Just because somebody's skin... What, 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 what does that matter? Really? What, why does that have anything to do with who they are identified with. It's, it's as absurd as blaming... I mean, would you blame... I mean, are people still going down to Rwanda today and saying to them, hey, you know that genocide that took place in the 1990s? 
hey, do you know what? Have you made rep? Would they do that in different countries? I mean, all skin colors have been sold into slavery. All of them. It's... If God's people, that corporate, if you want to talk about that, have broken God's law, turned their back, we need to repent. We. And we need to be good neighbors wherever we live. And not just be, you know, there's a certain critique of, I suppose, the American view of living and stuff like that is warranted and and welcome and stuff like that. We don't want to be hyper-individualistic and we don't want to all be this and that and the other thing. But this is hardly the answer. And I think people gravitate towards Tim Keller because it may just seem like a reformed, it seems, I think, to some, a reformed, but not so hyper-capitalistic, beaten the chest, hey, this is, this is the answer to all things, culture war on the right-hand side. It seems like, well, here's somebody who's like, not saying you have to, you know. On the whole, right versus left, whether it be in America or in Britain over here, it doesn't matter what the parties say. It's all compromise, and it's kind of like, what parts of the law of God are you going to prioritize today? How many of them are actually in, in the pro-life, properly? Are they just pro-life? They go to the rallies, and then they just kind of go, well, we're going to restrict the killing and murdering and slaughtering of babies, kind of, as opposed to the other side, which wants to extend it. And whichever way you do it, both sides are in 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 the about killing babies. A lot more obvious here in Britain and in London and Westminster, was hardly anybody of the MPs. But compromise with the law of God, and we have to deal with all of the law of God, begets more compromise. We need to think about the nation. We need to think about our nations, whether you live in the United States or here in Britain, whatever the case may be. We need to think about the nation repenting for its sins. Not thinking about, hey, you know what? People with my complexion, we need to repent of what in the world? It's no better than saying, well, you know what? That race is, that skin color is better than that color, just intrinsically. Textbook racism, really. You do something about the poor people out there. No, you're, you're part of the problem. If you do actually let your, your understanding of responsibility be shaped by the Bible instead of American individualism. Um, Asians, I think I would say the same thing. In a way, I would say the Norwegians. Uh, the fact is that Asians and Latinos and African Americans, because of the background, because of the, the history difference, you actually are coming in at different levels. It's very clear, for example, uh, Bill Stuntz in his book on um, American criminal justice says, 10% of black people use drugs, 9% of white people use drugs, 8% of Latinos use drugs. Black people are nine times more, like 900% more likely to be convicted for crime. Uh, white people are at the bottom and, and Latinos are in the middle. Now, how did that happen? In other words, it has nothing to do with the actual drug. 
So, okay. So there's a higher drug use among one group than another. And there's a higher criminality among one group than another. So therefore, Mr. Logic, you're going to say what? The, pe- the, the group, if you want to, I hate calling it a group, but you know what I mean. The group who has the lower crime rate really is guilty for the other people who are committing the crimes. I, 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 come on. Why is this guy seen as some great intellectual? Why? There's usually some garbled nonsense he says on Twitter. And at best, at best, it's confusing. And everybody's like, what did he just say? And then he's wondering why everybody doesn't understand him. The fact is that black people are incarcerated and convicted at that level, Latinos in the middle, and white people the least, actually shows that for various reasons you come in as a black, Latino, and white person at different levels of, uh, you could say, privilege, or different levels of... Culture, values. Not because of black skin, but just it just happens to be... America, sadly, is very segregated into different communities. But to... Divided over levels of melanin is bizarre. How about we compare? How about you, out of that subgroup, maybe take out black Christians who are actually in sound, good churches, not the leftist, horrible churches, the Pentecostal churches, and, and things like that. I mean, sound churches. What is the difference in crime rates among those people? Perhaps it's what people believe. Perhaps it's to do with per, perhaps more influence of the Christian religion upon some, and perhaps a greater percentage of that group is born again. Perhaps. I know there's, I know there's not that many. I don't know how many in, in America. I know America is very religious and not very... Um, it depends on the state you go to. I mean, granted, I mean, some states are more reformed than others. Some places are very knowledgeable on certain reformed truths, and some of them are not. But to reduce it down to just one thing, skin color is foolish. If the black people who often say no to the victim narrative of this kind of stuff are often the people who do the best in business, in school, and they don't feel sorry for, and they, they work hard and they keep their heads down. There's also other people who do well anyway and continue to complain about this stuff. Advantage, as it were. And I think white people have to realize we have the least and Asians actually do have less privilege than white people do, and Latinos less, and so on. Now, this is, my, to some degree, I, the trouble with me speaking as a minister is everybody thinks that, well, if you're, as Tim Keller said, this must be in the Bible somewhere. Some of what I'm saying <laughs> is in the Bible, and some of it is my opinion. You just need to know that. But I think what, what I'm trying to say is that everybody who's here needs to recognize uh, a, that you're part of a history, you're part of, that you can't escape the history, you can't just say, I wasn't part of that. 
So it's not just the Christian. You're part of the problem, therefore you need to get involved in Marxist redistribution of wealth. And they'll, they'll talk about later how it's not all about money and all this kind of stuff, but... ...have these great resources to do justice and this great motivation and grace, but we have an obligation. To do justice, again, it's all about undoing, quote-unquote, the crimes of the past, which is redistribution of wealth. Reparations, reparations actually came up in the conversation later on. Um, we're going to try and play as much as this as we possibly can. Absolute obligation. We can't just say, well, that's their problem. I think, though, that, that Brian, you'd probably... Also and by the way, that's a straw man. That's their problem. If you meet someone who you can help and you should help and is in need or is in trouble, regardless of their background, regardless of their social status, and regardless of something as insignificant as, as their skin color or whatever else it may be, you help them because they're an image bearer of Almighty God. And you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you got to teach. teach. Teach the law of God, and this will cover these things. But you say things like that, and you'll be labeled, sadly, a colorblind racist in certain circles. It is dangerous. It is divisive. And it's a cult. When, when it f fully forms itself out, it is a cult that redefines the Bible. It is a cult of everlasting penance and is no more torturous than medieval Rome. And even Rome of today as well, for that matter. We also say that, that our humanity is damaged when the humanity of others suffer. And that's also biblical, yes. right? So Dr. King, you know, obviously talks about the fact that we're hurting ourselves. Yeah. I, I guess I would, listen, the only, I'd say that too. I absolutely agree with it. I always hate the, the idea that this is, I don't like appealing to self. Okay, I'm going to try and jump ahead. There's a segment at the very end that I kind of just want to comment on. He finishes off with. Again, I'm not really focusing too much on the other gentleman because I don't know him very well. He seems to be involved in a lot of criminal cases. I don't want to comment too much on him because he's not a minister and things like that. So I really want to just really focus on Tim Keller um, and that kind of thing. So things that motivate you to do the things that have to be done. Now is the time. And I'm excited about that, even though I'm challenged by it. Yeah. Wow, thank you. I want to be edgy. Why should, why should, uh, why should Brian have all the <laughs> This, by the way, where I am now in the video, just for those who are listening later on, and it's not live, <laughs> and I'm not watching the TV part, 45 minutes and 45 seconds into this video called Grace, Justice, and Mercy, an evening with Brian Stevenson and the Reverend Tim Keller. We haven't really spent any time on Brian Stevenson. I'll say, so, I'll say something edgy. Uh, uh, I'm old enough, I'm old enough to remember. I, I couldn't vote in the 1964 election, but I remember it pretty well, presidential election. Before that election, uh, Let's talk, about, let's talk about Christians, Orthodox Christians, small case O. Okay, Orthodox Christians with a little O. We're people who believe in the authority of the Bible. You have to be born again. You're born again through uh, faith in the blood of Christ, not your good works. 
You believe in, in spreading the good news. Okay, small o. Before uh, 1964, uh, African-American Christians voted both Republican and Democrat. They, they were spread. And white uh, Christians also. They tended, if you were white color, you tended to, to vote uh, Republican. If you were union or working class, you tended to vote. Uh. Okay. Um, there's a certain level of this can appeal to certain people. Okay. I think there's a danger, too, in thinking, ah, Republican, Christian. Now, the Democrats are horrible. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, oh, you know, the Democrats, hey, I can understand from a Christian point of view somebody voting for Trump. I get it. I don't agree with it. it you know, it irks me, but I, I get it. I get it, okay? However, um, this is kind of thing where, you know, well, there was a mixture of Democrat, Republican, all that. As a covenanter and covenant covenanters are really go back to not just even the National Covenant of 1638 in Scotland and then later on the 1643 Solomon Covenant. These, by the way, can be read online. You don't have to go and buy anything. Just type it into Google and you can read it for yourself. They're not long documents um, that, first of all, Scotland swore to uphold and then the, the, both islands in, in 1643 swore to uphold. Um... In that, I'm not there to lose my thread at all here. Hmm. Go back to this. Uh, Democrat. Oh, yeah. There we go. So, in that, right, we as Christians, I think we have to kind of go, not just, hey, here's, here are the two things on, on, on offer. Well, we got to think of, go to the text of scripture first and exegete and look into and study what is the righteous standard which we are to support and then we go okay who's upholding that neither party either side of the Atlantic can be said to be honoring God I mean come on like I mean not to go into massive detail one of Trump's spiritual advisors and I pick on Trump not because saying he's worse than Democrats Look, generally speaking, the Democrats are 10 times worse, okay? Okay. Don't shoot me, okay? <laughs> um, but his spiritual advisor is, quote-unquote, that lady who calls herself a pastor, Pastor Paula White. Kane. Just got a double barrel name. We'll just call her Paula White. Um, yeah. Um, apart from the myriad of heresies that she teaches... She also has no thought for 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. That's a spiritual advisor. And that's when your nation and your, its leaders doesn't care about the law of God. Yes, is it a lot more explicit on the Democrat side? Sure. Okay. But the law of God is not just being pro-life and turning up the rallies. I'm not saying don't turn up the rallies. I'm not saying don't support pro-life things and all that kind of thing. But it it's the entire law of God. I believe as Christians, we can't support either. And it's the same over here. I don't support like this it there's a there's there's so-called Christian parties up here and they have been doing more damage, I think, to the cause of Christ 
than much of the unbelievers on this island. Because there's constant compromise, and there's constant compromise in the name of gaining power. This is happening in our own part of the world, in Northern Ireland. And then you've got the Conservatives, led by Boris Johnson. I'm sure people know who Boris Johnson is. The man is living with someone he's not even married to. That would be unthinkable 20 years ago, but nobody cares anymore. As long as you are a little bit right, a little bit more conservative than the rabid left, they're all right. Just remember this. Today's conservative is yesterday's liberal. Today's conservative, the one you are championing, your your Christian godly grandmother would probably rebuke you for even thinking about supporting such godless people. Are there the odd Christian here and there? I know Mike Pence seems to be a sincere Christian. He seems to be. I'm not, not disputing that, but Trump and a lot of the administration, not good. Um, that's all changed radically. And what you actually have is um, Orthodox black Christians, all Democrats largely, and Orthodox white Christians. I don't understand. Okay, if they're so Orthodox, I don't care what their skin color is, how can they support a, a party that believes in slaughtering a baby right up until birth? I'm not saying support either. But how can you support that? What Christian principle is the demo? What, where is any semblance of any Christianity on the Democrat side? Yeah, I can kind of get it with the Republicans, but there's n what is there? What what are you talking about, Tim? It's sheer nonsense. Uh, by and large, Republican. That's, a, that's kind of a scandal right there. And the fact is, because each side kind of feels like the other side, yeah, you're brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're kind of clueless. What are you doing over in that party? Um, we aren't talking. And it's crazy, frankly. We're not talking. Uh, it's wrong if the church is divided by politics. It is wrong. And if you if you are a church and if you are believers in Jesus Christ and you are divided because of some political movement, it's idolatrous and it's wrong. Christ needs to be the most important thing in our lives. And the church needs to be far more important because it is the body of Christ than any political party, especially when they are not Christian. They're not. The Republicans are pro-LGBT. Nothing Christian about that. Trump, I don't know how many times he supported the LGBT movement. Obviously, African-American Christians say, white Christians, you're just obsessed on a lot of stuff. We're just trying to survive. You know, the great migration was, don't shoot me, don't lynch me, let me go to some place where they don't do that. I mean, that's... that's what but killing, killing babies is okay. I mean, I'm sure the babies would also like to survive. I'm sure the babies, if they could speak, would also say, don't lynch me, don't shoot me. 
concerned about it. And then, you know, uh, white Christians are not, they're, they're, we're obsessing on all sorts of, maybe, we may be right about a lot of cultural issues, but we're obsessing on things. Uh, I feel like this might be a moment. Are we obsessing on abortion? Because that tends to, I'm sorry, but that is a, obviously an important issue. That's part of the law of God. Are we obsessing on that? Is, or is Tim Keller not obsessing on redistribution of wealth and blaming all white people for things that largely happened over 150 years ago or even longer ago? Now, if you still support child slavery and you still think ca capturing people in their homes and selling them into slavery is, um, is okay and you still support that, well, then you, ne you need to repent. What if you don't? Well, <laughs> okay. I'm not aware of anybody who believes in child slavery. And the debates, I've done programs before on, you know, there's the biblical f form of slavery, which is indentured servitude. We need to nuance. When you're having talks about that online, be very careful because you need to be nuanced and what you mean by that. But child slavery, you know, man stealing is evil and wrong. And all of that, you would have to repent, okay? But it shouldn't matter the color of the skin. It's just because the law of God speaks against it, and that is an image bearer. Frankly, in which Christians in both parties start to look at each other and say, you know, we're Christians first. Um, we're Christians in both parties. Where are the Democrat Christians? Show me one. Show me one. Show me one. Where are they? Again, I can kind of get it. I think somebody could be in the Republican Party and have a credible profession of faith. I don't think that it is right, the platforms they're in and, and all that kind of thing, but definitely somebody could have a credible profession of faith and be a politician or whatever else the case may be. Um, but how can you be in the Democrat Party and have a credible profession of faith. I'm not saying, yeah, rah, 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 Republicans. Republicans are... No. It's, a, it's a pagan platform, largely. But I can... Sadly, I can get how people can kind of say, well, this is the best platform, so therefore... But the Democrat Party... Is there anywhere... Is there any platform? Is there anything that they even get right? I mean, they make a broken clock look impressive. What Christian principle do they stand on? What? I suppose if at a stretch, you might even say, and I think they're using it for political maneuvering, you might say, oh, well, you know, they're into wearing masks and they're a little bit more thoughtful when it comes to COVID. That's about the only thing you might be able to say. And it's sad that that whole issue got so politicized, but I digress. And that's at that's a stretch. That's at a stretch. Second, white second, we're Democrat and Republican second. We're Christians first. We need to be listening to each other. And we need to be saying, how do we actually uh, work for justice together? Together. And let's find, you, as soon as, if we sit down and start talking, the issues, the justice issues are not going to look like, the first time, we talk, the lists aren't going to look at all. There may not even be any overlap on the list. 
but we have to keep talking. We have to keep praying, and we have to say, why? You know, we're, we're in Christ together. What fellowship hath light with darkness? If you are supporting godless party, the Democrats, you need to come out. You need to repent. There's probably several things you need to repent in the Republican side, too. In fact, that there are. But I don't see how any Christian can stay within the Democrats. Just can't. This is nuts. And uh, I actually do think that actually, weirdly enough, might be the first for, for white Christians anyway. Uh, that might really be the first way to get proximate. An another way to get proximate, not just how do we help the poor, you know, you know the poorer people. How I also don't like that poor people seem to be synonymous with black people. I'm sorry, it's just horribly patronizing. There are black people who are far more successful in the world than I'll ever be, or far smarter and far more brilliant and everything else like that. It, just the kind of, you know, it's like, this, I'm sorry, but it's, I'm sick of this patronizing nonsense of, oh, you poor black person, treating them like they're children. Can we stop? Treat them like anybody else? Discrimination is wrong, evil, but, but point out a specific example. Point it out. Point it out. Actually, listen to our brothers and sisters, the leaders very often, the brothers and sisters in the African-American church, for example. I'm talking about Christians getting together and saying, where have we been blind? And, and we have to, you know, we have to listen. But I actually think that this might be a moment, I was telling Brian before, there might be a, a moment in which Christians begin to say, you know, we're Christians first. We need to be working together for justice. And I do think, especially, frankly, under, under the age of 40, uh, Christians of all races are much more willing to sit and talk to each other, I think, than, they, than the ones over 40. And I'm way over 40. But I, that's, my, that's my edgy thing. To... Those older people, oh, they're just a bunch of... <laughs> in the pejorative. Right now, I think, I think we got to... I, I think that scandal has, we've got to put that scandal to bed. Uh, and it would be great if five or ten years from now we looked back and said, this was the year we did it. And you can imagine some of the reasons why that might happen this year. <clears throat> I thank you for the... So that's pretty much the end of that. I try to pick some of the most representative things. I might have missed one or two little comments here and there, but I think that's about as much as you can cover. And again, I tried, probably failed, but I tried as much as possible to get to the biblical text and some of the, the texts are being maligned and misused. What is the way to dealing with this? What is the way to tackling this? It's not necessarily even the way I'm doing it here. It's knowing our own theology. If we are more if we are more biblically literate, we'll know what Daniel was speaking about in Daniel chapter 9. If we know more about the scriptures, we'll know more about Joshua chapter 7. And there'll be less opportunities, you can say, to use this to divide us and, and to see that we're all image bearers. Biblical God-fearing theology should eradicate racism should bring people together of all ages. I say ages, because sometimes in, in churches, 
older people can be maligned just like that. You see, it's cool to get with the young people, but it's sad because sometimes the older people are 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 marginalized and forgotten and left in in care homes and not visited and things like that. And that's heartbreaking. And then and it can happen with young people. It can happen. We need to, the gospel, Christ needs to, by faith in him and him alone, should bring us together in unity and freedom found only in Christ, regardless of our age, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our cultural influences prior to that, regardless of the type of sin we excelled in, for want of a better term, you know, what characterizes us, which, whether we were thieves, drunkards, or whatever the case may be, whatever your background, a robust, strong congregation will bring people together, no matter what their background, no matter what their past baggage. Of course, there may be difficulties along the way, etc., and so on, but that's what we are to strive towards. We are to die to self. We are to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Die to self. Die to our own preferences. Die to our own wants and needs. Not even needs, but die to even like me first. And regardless of whether that person is Hispanic, you know, in terms of the way it's described nowadays, um, black, Asian, whatever, we should be just as welcoming with that person as we are with someone else coming in the door of a church. Just being welcomed to everyone because they're an image bearer of God and we want them to know Christ. That's the reason. Not that we're kind of going, hey, look, there is a person of another shade of color of skin. We're going to treat them better than... That's, that's wrong as well, by the way. Every person is an image bearer of Christ and we should avoid the sin of partiality regardless of what anybody's gone through. This is not to say there are some people in the church that are going through difficult times. We support them. Everyone's different. Everyone's got their different struggles. But whatever the case, we don't treat people better or worse because simply of the complexion of our skins. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.